Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, so here's a kind of unique thing going on here at Southwest today. Uh, our senior minister, Roger Hendricks, is gone. Our children's minister, Tammy Stahl, is gone. And our creative arts minister, Larry Adams, is gone. They're in El Salvador on the mission trip with their 14 total. So, uh, yeah, a team of 14, they went down yesterday. They had to meet here at the church at like 4.15 a.m., which is obscene, but I know they got down there safely. They landed down there in El Salvador, and then if it was like last year, I got to go last year, uh, they went straight to Walmart, did some shopping for some VBS-type stuff, and they were stuffing pinatas last night. So I think, uh, I know I saw on Facebook, Tammy's prayer was that it would be an uneventful travel day, and I think they, they got that prayer answered. And so I, we're going to pray for them in a minute, but I just got a report. I know Roger preached is down there at one o'clock uh, our time. And also even more exciting, uh, Larry is in the process of trying to learn a new worship song in Spanish. So, and that's happening today, this afternoon. Yeah, exactly right. So we're going to pray for them and the entire team. But uh, right after that prayer, we're going to dismiss the sixth through eighth graders, and then we'll, we'll dive into Ecclesiastes together. So let's pray for the morning and the team down in El Salvador. Uh, Father, even uh, as uh, we meet here, uh, 14 of those that we know and love are uh, down south in El Salvador, and they are having uh, church down there probably a few times today. Uh, we want to ask your, uh, not just your blessing on our team of 14, but also uh, that you continue to arrange, whether they're divine moments or divine appointments, or uh, that every one of them would be able to empty of themselves and just be a walking, uh, just, just your son Jesus walking around to uh, those El Salvadorians, those that we love and have partnered with for a few years now. Uh, whether that is uh, serving in a particular way or a conversation or an encouraging word from one person to another. Uh, we want uh, our partner church there, San Julian Christian Church, to feel emboldened, encouraged, lifted up, and uh, just equipped to just kind of keep fighting the good fight there in El Salvador. Uh, and I pray for our team as well that it would be uh, the absolute best uh, best version of a life-changing trip, and they can come back and just share that passion and enthusiasm uh, with those who weren't able to go this year. Certainly pray for Roger's words to the church down there this afternoon, but also uh, we want uh, prayers that uh, Larry's learning process, he can deliver this worship song uh, in their native language, that they would feel special and blessed by that, but also that uh, Larry could feel as less low stress about that as possible, that he just picks it up, no problem at all. So we ask your blessing there. Uh, in all other things, we pray for our time this morning that uh, we leave this building. Hopefully this, this is the best hour of our day, but also that we can uh, you know, leave this room exactly as the Holy Spirit would want us to, be that challenged, encouraged, supported, grace-filled, whatever your Spirit has for us. Uh, that is our prayer, and I pray it on behalf of us expectantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, sixth and uh, through eighth graders, you are free to go. Everyone else, we are... Still plugging along in the book of Ecclesiastes, which has uh, taken up the biggest, uh, huge, huge, huge chunk of our summer. So we have this week, uh, we are, um, we are, I think that's last week's messages. I think I have one called The Magnificent Now. So <clears throat> that's last week's messages. But I know next week we're going to take a break from the series. And uh, we're going to have the El Salvador team up here on stage just kind of with some testimonials, some speaking pieces, just so they can share your, their hearts with what's going on, what they did this, uh, this entire week. 
Uh, but we are in this series called Ecclesiastes. We're going to finish it up in August, those first two weekends. And if you've been with us, then you know that there are some really, really heavy themes that come with this wisdom book right out of the Old Testament. Uh, part of it is we try and battle, you know, we don't try and have downer weeks here at Southwest, but also some themes from this book are just things like, hey, uh, we're all going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, if you, you know, you might be having a good life, but then out of nowhere, some tragedy can happen and there's no sense behind it. Uh, just themes of injustice all around, no matter how great we live our life or how terrible we live our life, everyone kind of gets the same experience. So uh, there isn't a lot of hope in this book, at least not on the surface. You got to go and do some digging for it. Uh, but also, uh, we've been getting some encouraging feedback because uh, typically, at least the last couple of years, each fall, the staff kind of gets together and we kind of forecast toward the following year. So I think it was last fall, we were kind of thinking through uh, this year and we're like, you know, we we're kind of going back and forth for this book of Ecclesiastes. And we're like, do we want to do this? Because like some people on staff really, really like it. This is probably in my top five favorite books out of the entire Bible. But also this doesn't really feel like it's quite for everyone. So one, I know, I think it was last week or the week before, we got a really, really encouraging comment. Just someone said like, hey, if I was reading the Bible, if I was going just reading through this by myself, I would have gotten halfway through chapter one and I would have quit. So they said, you know, thank you, that sort of thing. Some of you might be like, yeah, I would have done that. Absolutely. Uh, so we were encouraged by that and just uh, we we. We're just glad that this has been able to uh, bless a number of you that even though, you know, life, you know, our life is, you know, looks like fill in the blank, that there is hope uh, beyond on the other side of that. And that message of hope is going to be front and center for us this morning. Uh, years and years ago, I heard uh, a phrase, I can't think of, I, I don't even know who originated it first, but someone once said that if you can believe, if you can believe in the first four words of the Bible, then you can accept anything that the Christian faith has to offer. The first four words being, in the beginning, God. If you can get behind those four words and really put your trust and faith there, then everything that follows is going to be a whole lot easier. Well, in that spirit, kind of, again, keeping going through Ecclesiastes, I found this verse in uh, the book of Job, which is kind of in that same genre of scripture. It's called wisdom literature that Ecclesiastes is in. Psalms is in there. Proverbs is in there. But I wanted to read this. This is Job 12.10. Uh, it says, for the life of every living thing is in his hand and the breath of every human being. So looking at that verse, if we can get behind that verse, if we can believe the words that uh, that verse says out of Job, then I think we can uh, take and understand and process and live out uh, exactly everything that Ecclesiastes has to offer. So if we can get behind that and believe that, then Ecclesiastes can make a whole lot more sense, but acquires a whole lot of faith. So... Uh, a few weeks ago, I, we've, I think this is like the eighth week that we've been in Ecclesiastes, uh, but I think it was earlier on, maybe Ecclesiastes 3 or chapter 5, but somewhere in there, the writer, probably King Solomon, uh, the writer said something to the effect of, it's a whole lot better to go to a funeral than a wedding. And if you're a normal person, you think that sounds terrible, that sounds incorrect, why would anyone say that? On the one hand, no one's having fun in a funeral. You know, every wedding, it's a very joyous celebratory occasion. But also, and just so you know, like, I'm gonna, we're going to kind of get into some more death stuff today, but I, the, the entire tone and theme of the morning, we're going to leave happy, it's going to be good, we're going to laugh, it's going to be good. But first, I've got to talk about death and all that stuff. Um, you know, you can bring to mind, or maybe not, it might be too painful, but if you bring to mind the most recent funeral that uh, you went to, uh, 
you know, anytime you go to a wedding, yeah, it's a, it's a good party, you're having a good time, but also no one, or at least I won't say no one, but most people really don't think about the meaning of life at a wedding. Uh, but I won't speak for you, I'll speak just for my own self, but every funeral or viewing or visitation that I've been to, either there or when I've left the building, uh, I'm always thinking through, what do I want my life to be about? What's my legacy gonna be? What kind of a person am I? What kind of person do I want to be? So in that way, and that's kind of the spirit of uh, what King Solomon's after, just thinking about the, just how huge life is and is there any meaning or purpose at all, uh, in that way, a funeral or attending one can be a uh, kind of like an indirect blessing in a way that just causes us to think on things that really, really matter over the long term. But yeah, sometimes that hard stuff that makes us think about really important stuff and uh, we probably need to pause and think about that kind of things more often than we do. I came across this quote, we can all agree. It says, uh, instead of reckoning with the meaning of death, humans fill their lives with the distractions of a thousand passions and squander what little time they have to immediate but insignificant worries. Here's an example. The phone is always an easy target, but I'm going to go there today. Here's where I've been wasting my time. Uh, every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, I get a report saying, hey, here's how much time you spent on your phone this last week. And every single Sunday morning, I am disappointed in myself. But here's what's got me uh, in the, over like the last three or four weeks. Uh, I'm not a game guy. Like growing up, I really wasn't into video games all that much. I didn't play a lot. Even now, I'm like, yeah, it's fun, but it's just really, really a waste of time at the end of the day. Another one feels this way. I'm not down on it. That's just for me. Uh, but uh, this, this game just called Wordscapes has gotten my attention. Anyone else play this? Has played this? Show of hands, a few of us. This thing has got me addicted and I am ashamed of it. It's just pretty much just like, it's just a word scramble that you'll find like in the daily paper. You're just unscrambling words, but there are certain levels and I'm coming up on like level 800 in like a matter of three or four weeks. Isn't there a better way to use my time? But as just one real life example of just like, if we take a step back and pause, like, what are we doing? Is this really what we're filling our time with? Is this where we're trying to find meaning? Or just kind of falling into this quote, just distracting ourselves with just a thousand little passions. Anyway, uh, when that happens, I say we are in desperate need of some wisdom, so we're gonna go right to Ecclesiastes 9. Here's the first couple verses. Let's look at some further truth from this book of wisdom. 9 verse 1, this too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. That, uh, that phrase that kind of opens up this chapter, I carefully explored, just if you kind of get into the Hebrew, it means that this guy has devoted his mind to making it all clear. This man is a thinker, he's very wise, he sits down, he tries to figure things out. There are two types of people in the world, there are those who just spend their time accepting things, and there are those who try and figure things out, and he is one of those guys who tries to figure things out. And uh, he, he gets, to, again, and a lot of this stuff that we're going over, like we've heard in previous weeks in Ecclesiastes, there's tons and tons of repeated themes here. Uh, but once again, he kind of compares just a whole, like a whole six different types of people. He compares righteous and wicked, clean, unclean, religious, irreligious, which isn't really language that we use a whole lot. But he says, like, no matter what kind of person you are, like, hey, everyone kind of gets the same experience. 
When I read these two verses, I thought of, I thought of a roller coaster, just any old roller coaster, and how that can be a really, really good metaphor. Uh, how, many, how many in the room are roller coaster people, or you were, at least back in the day, you were a roller coaster person? How many are like, absolutely not, never? Yeah, it's a healthy, it's a healthy balance. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle when I go to like a, you know, it's been a few years since I've been to Kings Island, but when I go there, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, but I imagine like kind of a roller coaster is a really good metaphor for this understanding. If you just take 20 random people and put them, you know, like in the car, like put, bring down the bar and just send them off, uh, you're going to probably have 10 people who really, really love it. And you're going to have 10 people who really, really hate it. And, you know, going on up, you might have some people just having a panic attack and you might have some people uh, just like just really, really amped up because they're really excited for the drop. And, uh, you know, that first, you know, drop down, again, people might love it, people might hate it. I say, we're going to talk about this picture here in a moment because I have some roller coaster stories. But at the end, like you might have people just waiting to go again, but you might have some people just vomiting all over the place. No matter what type of person, they all got the same experience. And Ecclesiastes kind of lends itself to that sort of metaphor. Uh, There are, again, it's been a few years since I've been to Kings Island, um, but there are two things there that I will not ride at all. And one is drop zone that we've seen a picture of. Uh, I I I just can't, well... I did it once. It was a few years ago. I was with students. I was like, I will never, ever do one of these. It's just, I just can't handle it. But out of my love for students and out of their pleading, like, fine, I'll go. And it was terrifying from and just aggravating from the way up. So we go up. And of course, you're up there for about 45 minutes so they can keep you in suspense. And then like several people on the way down there throwing their hands are like, woo! But which was not me. The entire time I am clenched like this, just And I was furious for an hour after we got off. That was my experience with Drop Zone. And the other one that I just will not ride is Diamondback, which I think still is the big feature of, of uh, Kings Island. I've ridden this a few times. The very first time was the summer to open. I think that was 2011. And uh, on this drop that you see here, I passed out. <laughs> Everything went white, and I passed out. It was like probably two seconds max, but I was like, okay, I'm never doing that again. I just, you know, kind of not breathing and clinching, that full body clinch I do on, you know, roller coasters on the way up. So that's how it happened. But also I tried to like, you know, I can get over it. I'm not going to pass out this time. Then I tried it again a few years later. And the reason that I won't do it again is like if they just had like a shoulder support, I would get on this ride. But the entire ride is designed to give you that out of seat feeling as much of the ride as possible. So I just will not do it. But other ones I love, like the Banshee, love it. Send me on time after time. Anyway, not to put too fine a point on it, kind of these first two verses and that you see elsewhere in Ecclesiastes is, no matter how awesome you are or how terrible you are, we're all going to end up being eaten by worms. How does that make us all feel? That's kind of the fate of it. It is a downer, Brian, I agree. (laughs) But we're going to keep on going. We're not going to stay in the downer territory. Verse 3, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is only hope for the living. As they say, it's better to have a live dog, better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. Uh, like I said, we're not, we're, we're going to leave down our territory, but, but that wasn't it. 
Verse four, you know, says there's hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion and just kind of keeps kind of going in that vein. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe you've experienced this yourself, but the certainty of death, uh, it certainly can drive people to live in the present, right? Depending how you know, imminent or how overpowering or the weight of it, it can really start to make people start thinking about today and living in the moment, the present moment. I came across a written story of a woman uh, and her husband and how their lives changed after the husband's uh, serious cancer diagnosis. This was written a few years ago. Uh, but kind of the setup of this thing is, uh, you know, guy, he, I think he was uh, in his 50s at the time and just, you know, going for a regular checkup, you know, does a, does a blood work thing and like they're just waiting on the call just to make sure it's everything okay. They weren't thinking about it. Again, just a normal checkup. And that's where this lady, the, the wife, kind of picks up with this story. And this will be a few minutes, but I think it, it's, it'll be rewarding for us. Instead, she says, we got the dreaded 7.30 a.m. call from the doctor's office asking that he come in and have his blood work repeated because there were some abnormalities. A few days later, he, the husband, asked to go in alone to hear the results. I respected his request for privacy, and I waited in our office. Then she's just doing some chores, and then she sees her husband's car come back into the driveway. He comes in. Is the news bad? I asked as he walked in the door. He just looked off to the side and nodded once. I wanted to say, don't tell me, let's go get breakfast and shop and run to the beach and do everything we need to do before our life changes. What is it, I asked, trying to prepare myself for prostate cancer or diabetes or any other illness that might befall a man. They say all signs point to multiple myeloma, my husband said, which is a very, very serious diagnosis. I threw my hands over my face. And she writes a little more, and then she says, you know, they, they go to the office for the first round of chemo treatments. She writes, we went into action in that weird, distant way you do when in shock. We called close friends and family to garner their support, and they were all there for, for us with no questions asked. During that time, I bought so many motivational books, the sheer size of the book pile became demotivating. My husband and I went to the local health store and bought every anti-cancer food on the shelf. We started drinking green shakes that tasted like we were licking the bottom of our lawnmower. Anyway, there at the clinic, a receptionist saw us, my husband holding his work briefcase like Linus with his blanket, and he waved him over with a smile and warm welcome. In the meantime, I sat and observed my new surroundings. I noticed a woman to my right who was probably in her early 60s waiting for treatment. She had school books in her lap and looked tired. Oh no, I thought. She's a teacher with cancer and she's here all alone. I need to say something. I caught her eye and said, are you okay? Oh yes, honey, she said. I just got out of weightlifting class and they worked us hard today. I realized I was in the presence of spiritual strength. I'm currently a paralegal, but I've decided to go into criminal law. It's always been my passion, so I'm going back to school. I'm changing my life, she continued. They called her name for treatment, and she adjusted the scarf on her head, picked up her books, flashed a smile at me, and moved on. I saw an older couple enter the waiting area, and they were laughing with the nurses, despite the frail look of the husband. The husband was fussing because his wife was walking too fast, and she was telling him he could just increase the speed of his walker. In that moment, I realized that this was not a place of fear. This was a place of noble battle. 
And she goes on to explain uh, that some of the follow-up tests with her husband showed that the situation wasn't nearly as serious as the doctors initially thought, but she continues writing this piece. She said, but no matter what the outcome, I learned that within the walls of the oncology ward were some of the most courageous people I ever met. I saw what the human spirit can do when it's faced with its greatest, most fearful unknown. I saw doctors and nurses who cared without condescending and cancer patients who thrived spiritually no matter what their physical status. I felt like God on the seventh day of creation. I viewed the wheelchairs, the bald heads, the gaunt faces, the smiles, the strength, and the laughter. I watched people hold others on their laps when they were tired. Doctors put patients on, pat patients on the back and people apologize for blocking your path with your wheelchair. I saw people standing up to fear with laughter and love and strength, and it was good. Doesn't that sound biblical? We can all agree that something happens when we face the idea of death or even death itself. I forget who said it decades ago, but it's been said, maybe you've heard it before, that those who live their best lives are the ones who spent time thinking about the next one. Have you heard that before? Anyway, it's clear, we're going to read here in a moment, that God ha and the writer urge us and have, would have us prioritize just living in the moment, really seizing the present. Here's uh, verse 7 and on. It's in your bullet in the message notes. This is what the writer says. He says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well for when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the message. I love how the message puts this, kind of updates some language. Here's how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it. He writes, seize life, eat bread with gusto, which I already do. Anyone else already do that? <laughs> Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scars. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. I lost it. There we go. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it, and, and heartily. This is your last and only chance at it, for there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. Now, here's what I like. Here's what I like. <laughs> When the writer talks about these things, these aren't suggestions. You know, we do our homework. Roger and I, when we're up here, we do our homework. These aren't suggestions. These are legitimate imperatives. These are actual legitimate commands. Do these. Like no ifs, oh, ifs ands, or buts. Do these things. These are biblical commands that we're supposed to obey. In, in the most biblical sense, I'm telling you, this is legitimate biblical party language. So because... Because here at Southwest, we want to be disciples who are growing and all that, we are going to obey this. So for those who want to obey, you're going to have to get up for this. Let's throw up the house lights, Keith, if we would. We have uh, some cookies and Bill's donuts for those who would like to. And uh, for real, I want everyone, like everyone who wants one, get up. I brought these for you, for everybody. We're going to enjoy ourselves. Please do not be shy. Yes, there we go. Take some back to your seat if someone's shy about getting up. Some sugar cookies on this side. So, yeah, so as we're doing this, as we're doing this, sure, you bet. Um, it's not a trap. It is not a trap. It's a good question. There's not going to be a hook here. 
So while they're doing that, oh, I'm good to see, glad to see the, uh, the, the response here, fantastic. And then we also have like sugar cookies and chocolate chip cookies if donuts aren't your thing. But even if like you're on a diet, like I, am, I, I get married in 13 days, I'm on the crash wedding diet, I'm breaking it because we want to be obedient to this. So while you're eating your bread with gusto, um, it also says like drink wine with like robustly, but I don't have wine. There are two reasons. Uh, one is that uh, the staff handbook says no alcohol allowed on Southwest campus. Um, but two, I think wine is really, really nasty. So instead, uh, I went and I got my favorite cream soda, Sprecher cream soda. Even though it looks like it, this is not an alcoholic beverage. Who's uh, Alex Myers? You're pretty trustworthy. Come up here and, and look at this. You're going to give the crowd a thumbs up and say, yes, this is not an alcoholic beverage because that's all I need because Roger next week, yeah, thank you, because next week Roger is going to ask, how'd Andrew do? And what I don't want you to say is, I don't remember anything he said, but he was drinking from a bottle on the stage. <laughs> so, uh, while we're relaxing a bit, um, I wanted to just kind of go through uh, just a few biblical tips on living in the moment while we're enjoying our donuts. Oh, good. We, we got five more over here and plenty of cookies left, so thrilled with the response. But yeah, some tips, biblical tips on living in the moment. One is um, just prayer. From Colossians 4.2, Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Uh, one thing that prayer does, it, it forces you to stop doesn't it? It forces you to pause. Uh, some of you might be in that world of praying without ceasing. So some of you might do that pray on the go thing, which is, I think is a good thing, but uh, I don't think really praying on the go or praying in a hurry. I just don't know how someone prays in a hurry really legitimately. So one thing is just, you know, good old fashioned prayer. Again, nothing earth shattering, nothing we haven't heard before, but prayer makes us just push pause on life. You know, I've never seen like a, a really wise person feel hurried or kind of in a rush. I've never seen like a really prayerful person have that worried, hurried look about them. So kind of taking this verse to heart is, you know, with that alert mind, kind of focusing on just the moment, that allows us not only just to push pause, but also kind of bring, brings God and allows him to weigh in on whatever it is going on at that particular moment. Here's another one is just uh, being loving. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, 16 says, do everything with love. And that word everything in the Greek, that means everything. So we want to pay attention to it. Uh, if so, so here's like an example. Um, so I'm very much uh, an introvert, which I don't always really seem that way from the stage. Um, but like, uh, so on a Sunday morning, so every day I start, the, I start my day with a full battery. And I have to be strategic as far as like, where am I going to spend that battery's energy? So on a Sunday morning, uh, pretty much not, most of the day's energy goes for between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Uh, but sometimes if, if I didn't have a night, good night's sleep and I'm tired, uh, sometimes like just a whole crowd of people can, can drain me. Some of you introverts know exactly what that's like. Uh, but whenever I get that way, whenever I feel drained, here's what I can do. If I'm talking with somebody, uh, typically I can, th I can think, maybe if I get a little insecure, I can think of, oh, I hope I, like, I'm not sounding stupid, or I hope I'm uh, you know, looking interested, or I f hope that I, like, this, people, this person thinks I'm listening. Or sometimes like, if we're in a crowd, we can just be so self-conscious, like, how am I coming off right now? Uh, here's something I've noticed with just the idea of being loving. If we're being loving, it means that we're not focusing or thinking about ourselves at all. The entire idea of love is, is entirely others-centered. 
So like uh, on, on a Sunday morning when I'm really, really, really feeling it, when I don't like have that drain feeling at all, here's what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about myself at all. I'm trying to think of like putting all my attention and focus and energy on exactly everyone I'm talking to. Like I don't have time to think about myself or how tired I am or how drained I'm feeling or you know, fill in the blank. <clears throat> it allows us to, again, push pause and just really, really be loving and make that person feel understood and heard and listened to, and they leave feeling valued and understood. Again, nothing earth-shattering here, but prayer, being loving, hold on. This is really, really good, guys. I don't know if you've had it before, but you need to. But this last piece is uh, just being content and thankful. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And that's us. Uh, we here, hopefully, if you're here, you either belong to Jesus or you're kind of going that direction, hopefully one day belonging to Jesus. But being thankful in all circumstances. <clears throat> and that's being content. That's being thankful. Uh, anytime, uh, and again, I'll speak for myself, and uh, if, you can, you, if you can understand this, then fantastic. Um, but if ever I'm not feeling content or thankful, I think I'm okay saying 100% of the time it means I've taken my eyes off what I have and what God has given me, and I'm looking elsewhere and being either envious or jealous, thinking I should have that, or even worse, they shouldn't have that, but I should. I don't know how envy and jealousy can coexist with thankfulness and contentedness. Can you? I, I think they're mutually exclusive. I, I've never known a content person who also is looking around, looking at what other people have and being jealous or wanting to take that away. But being content and thankful, it requires us to look in our own house, our own yard, and just really take stock of what has God blessed me with or who has God blessed me with. So those are just a few really, really easy, you know, biblical ways of living in the moment. And again, living in the moment, that is a command straight from God himself, and we want to be obedient to it. But even though uh, we might like to live in the moment and we like to enjoy each and every day for its simple beauty, even that doesn't always work out. We have two more verses to read, and they're not happy ones, but again, we'll end up happy. But here's how it goes, verse 11. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. So just when you thought it was safe to relax a bit, here comes this random chance and bad luck again. But it doesn't have to stay that way. What I want to do is I want to go back to um, verse 4. Here it is up on the screen again. It says, There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. So I want to zero in on this word called, this word hope. We've heard this word before. Uh, you know, it's part of our vision statement we're big believers in hope here at Southwest. So there's this thing called hope, and we can all cling to it, grab onto it if we want to. You know, plastered on that big wall, it says that we're bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. Hope is always there for the taking. We have that option. <clears throat> but when we say hope, it's this hope that there is something that comes next after this life, which we can all agree, uh, doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. 
but we can put our hope in something that after this life, yeah, there's something that is not only fantastic, phenomenal, but also makes a whole lot more sense than what we have now. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, it keeps uh, saying, using this word, that this life is hevel. That's the, that's the uh, Hebrew word, meaning this life is uh, meaningless, that it's like smoke. We can't grasp it. We can't understand it. It's vanity. It's futile. Even uh, misery can be uh, translated from this word. And it's, uh, it's not just uh, humans. It's not just people who have been feeling this frustration or this misery or this uh, meaninglessness that this world has. But creation does as well. Uh, you might remember, you know, back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit and they ruin uh, everything for all of us. Um, but it says that not only is, were humans cursed in certain ways, but also all of creation was as well. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He writes, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That is heaven language, that is second coming language. Uh, but that word frustration says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. If you do the homework uh, you know, with some Hebrew and Greek and the Greek translation of the Old Testament and all that, the word hevel or meaningless and frustration here, uh, they're, the, they're the exact same idea. So this isn't just an Old Testament word. Paul has brought this into the New Testament as well. And everything is waiting, humans, creation, everything. Everything is waiting on the day that heaven comes to earth. And hope is the word that does that. It's hope that we're talking about. Uh, when we first really, really started hope, talking about hope in a big way around here, uh, we uh, said that hope is a combination of two things. Hope is desire plus expectation. And they have to go together. Uh, desire alone, it is just a wish. For instance, I have a desire to win the lottery, but I don't expect it. Also because I don't play the lottery, that's another reason why I don't expect it. But desire alone, that's just a wish. And expectation alone, uh, without desire, that can be everywhere, everywhere from despair to just plain old disappointment, uh, for an example. And I'll, I'll cue you on this picture, Sam. Um, for example, I'm going to get really, really old one day, hopefully, by God's grace. Um, you may have seen a lot on Facebook this week, Instagram, the face app that's turning everyone into really, really old. You take a picture. Now, you've also probably read like, you know, you hey, if you download this, then the Russians get everything you've ever said and done and eaten in your entire life. But uh, so I read that too. And then I also read that, no, that's not true. So I don't know what to believe. Anyway, I downloaded this app before I did any of that reading anyway. So anyway, so I have an expectation of getting old one day. Sam, Q. I don't desire that, everyone. I don't desire that. But with God's grace, that is what's coming my way. That is some really good definition, isn't it? My gosh. So I took two pictures, the other one just a straight face, but I look at it and I was like, oh my gosh, I look just like my dad. This is terrifying. He's gonna be here next hour. My parents come out typically whenever I get to preach, so we'll see if anyone spots him if you're around. Anyway, we can, yeah, thank you, we can take that away. <laughs> Uh, we decide that we put our hope in Jesus. And Jesus gave us hope uh, that, through a promise that one day he's coming back. Um, if you're on the communion team, we're gonna, this can be your cue, we're gonna enter that here in a moment. But uh, one of the ways that Jesus kind of uh, reminds us or even promises that hope to begin with was, and you have to do some looking for it, 
Uh, but when he's having his final meal there in the upper room, he says, hey, you know, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood, you know, all this broken and shed for you. He says, I'm not gonna have... I'm not going to have this meal again. I'm not going to drink this wine again until I come back. And you all get to, we all get to, you know, enjoy this in our kingdom together. So there in between the lines, Jesus offers us this hope that, yeah, he's coming back. And one day this life is not going to be hevel at all. And it's going to be filled with hope in the flesh, just living in the moment for all, all eternity. But I'm going to pray for us and we're going to enjoy this practice that Jesus intended for us to take in the present moment. I don't think Jesus wants us to be thinking about where we're going for lunch or bills we have to pay or you know, places we have to be later on. Uh, so in the spirit of uh, what Ecclesiastes has for us, let's do our best to remain in the moment for this holy practice of communion. Pray with me. Uh, Father, I'll just offer up uh, a brief um, but hopefully meaningful prayer for all of us that uh, as wafers and juice are passed, that uh, we can take stock. How are we with you? How are we at living in the moment? Are we able to invite you into these moments? Or have we gotten to a season of just being distracted by uh, stupid little passions and distractions? Or uh, is it time for a heart check and kind of think through, you know, are we thinking and uh, living uh, with the end in mind? And what do we want our lives to look like because of that? So with that uh, posture and spirit, uh, we ask your son Jesus to meet us in this moment. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus himself kind of asked a question, a really good question every now and again. Uh, the gospels are full of really pointed, deep, meaningful questions that uh, Jesus asked. Uh, anyway, he kind of took the spirit of one rhetorical question from Ecclesiastes 5, and he uh, kind of updated it. But here's uh, what Ecclesiastes 5.16 reads. Writer says, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? Kind of update means like, what are we all working for? What's the point? Like we work hard and then what? We all know the phrase, you can't take it with you. Well, in Mark chapter eight, verse 36, uh, Jesus asks just as, if not a better question that kind of falls in uh, the theme of this. Jesus asks this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Uh, from the Saturday night crew that uh, Roger and I meet with at 5.30, uh, someone there said, and I love it, so I'm going to use this tomorrow. She said, she observed that, you know, Ecclesiastes, it just reads like someone who's living a life without Jesus. It's like, wow, that's much better than anything I could come up with. I'm going to use that. <laughs> anyway, we get two choices. We can put our uh, hope in this life or we can put our hope in the next life. I don't know how you can do both. We can all agree that it's clear that this life rarely makes much sense. So uh, in the message notes, there's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, and then we'll sing a final song together. The bottom line is this. This life doesn't make any sense, so put your hope in the next one with Jesus. This life doesn't make any sense, so let's put our hope in the next one with Jesus. Let's all stand up for a final song. <laughs>